there are several things I need to make everybody aware of this morning. Um, lots of things. It's been a great week. We have a new steeple installed up on the ceiling and up on the roof, and we're thankful for that. And um, made a lot of progress out in the parking lot. So thankful for Bob Cornero, Chet Dickey, Felix Mendez. And we had a great group of guys, um, Darren Smith, Peter Rainey, Stephen Weathersby come in, get up on the 40-foot lift and help get that steeple set. All home folks, our people, volunteering their time. And we're really appreciative of it, seriously. Um, we are told this week we're going to get gravel all over our parking lot here on the north side. And by faith, next Sunday we'll be able to park all over this, the whole parking lot. And so, and then the next week we will get pavement and then we'll get lines so we can park between the lines and not ding up each other's car doors and stuff. And so we're getting close, and we're really thankful for it. Now, if you were with us on Wednesday, you learned that we are next Sunday adding a third service. 8.30 will be the first service, 10.15 the second, and 12 noon the third service. So that's what we're doing. Why would we do that? As I shared on Wednesday night, we are overcrowded. We are overcrowded people. Some services are virtually sitting in each other's laps. And Dr. Fauci has let us know he does not approve of it. And you know our life's ambition is to keep Dr. Fauci happy. But we are overcrowded to the point that we are regularly seeing families walk in and um, not be able to sit together. They leave, people drive in. A week or so ago, one of our elders saw over at the bank a, a family come in, couldn't find a, a space, and they just left. So we're overcrowded. Second reason why we're doing this is because we're called to reach our community. And what we've enjoyed, God's presence, the life-giving aspects of this church, we are called to share it with our community. So that's why we're doing it. Now, how are we going to do it? Two things. First, we need to create a more widespread, we need more people engaged in serving. And there's a host of different areas where you can serve. Children's ministry, ushers, greeters, parking, shuttle buses, hospitality, food services. There's all kinds of places for you to serve. What we're asking is everybody, listen, don't be a renter here. Be an owner. Be a stockholder. If you call this place your church home, then we need you to help us by acting like a member of our family. Help us wash the dishes. Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Run the dishwasher. Help us take them out of the dishwasher. Candace has taught us the dishes aren't done until they're clean and back in their place. Can I get a witness? And there's things like that that you'll be blessed to serve. Um, I have a friend in upstate New York who is a children's ministry expert, and they've done research. Do you know that in today's world, 70-some percent of kids that grow up in church leave the faith 
when they go off to college. But for people who serve, adults who serve in the church, over 90% of them and their children stay in the faith all through their adult years. Now, if that doesn't make you want to volunteer, y'all should be rushing the stage right now, seriously. But it speaks of something in a person's heart when, when they commit to help shoulder the load and the burden of the church. So I'm, I'm guessing, does everybody have one of these? Are they at the seats? You'll get them when you leave. And if you'll fill that out, and um, they'll turn that in as well as they leave in the lobby. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot that part. So we need everybody to help. The second thing that we need from you is this. We need 250 people to help us plant the noon service. And we're asking everybody, attend one, serve one. You can come to the 8.30 service, go get brunch, come back and serve with us. Or vice versa. You can come to the 10, serve in the 12, uh, 10.30, is that what time it is? I'm just the pastor. I, don't, I, I just show up and they tell me what to do. And sometimes I don't read the notes well. But So we need 250. Listen, if all we do is add an, a third service, but we don't get anybody in the first or second service to join that service, it's not helped us any. And so we're asking you to consider being part of the plant for the next six months until Easter. We need 250 people to come in and help us with that 12 noon service. If you'll do that, you can scan the code. The code is all over the campus in the first two buildings. You can scan that code. It'll take you right to a place where you can commit to being a part of that 250 team. So please consider doing that. If all we have is 27 people next week, at 12 noon, we're going to have church. But we hope it's 327 people. How many of you will agree with me that the Lord will help us plant an additional service and all three services will be life-giving, spirit-filled, strong presence of the Lord? Come on, somebody. All out there? In Jesus' name, may it happen. In Jesus' name. All right. Did I get everything? Is that it? All right. Great. I need to... Um, change gears um, we're trying to eliminate announcements before the sermon but today we couldn't resist with all the stuff that's going on so let me turn around and let's pray father help us right now just as we kind of put a period at the end of that sentence and close out that paragraph and now we come Lord the most important part of today we've worshipped you and in that worship, you tenderize our hearts to receive your word. Your word transforms us, Lord. And so we ask now, and I pray, Lord, that the, the kind of anointing that I had as I studied this week, as I prayed this morning, let that anointing fall in here even now, Lord, upon every person. Give us eyes that can see you, ears that can hear you, and hearts, Lord, that are soft and supple, sensitive, tenderized, Lord, to be transformed in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning starting a new series called Setting the Table. Growing up in small town Virginia, in a big family, poor family, we didn't get to eat out often. Maybe ten times a year did we eat out as a family, if that. 
and not only was money an issue, but we didn't have a big selection of restaurants. I mean, Long John Silver's was like fine dining growing up where in my house. And um, I like some fried fish. How about you? And those fish and chips, those chips, it was nothing but like fried batter just going in, but it tasted good going down. But my mother, so my mother being a very good cook, she cooked American cuisine, and um, we were raised where we ate around the dinner table about, on average, seven days a week. And we lived in a little small house, about 1,100 square feet. And when that food was cooking, that you just could not get away from the aroma. And growing up in a big family, when we would hear the plates and the silverware getting set out on the table, and the giveaway was when, remember those ice trays? Anybody remember life before automatic ice makers? And um, hearing those, those trays, takes me back those ice trays drop in and get ready for that glorious sweet tea. And we were like a bunch of Pavlov's dogs. When mom never had to go, dinner's ready. We knew the table was set. And if you get there late, when the table was set, we came. And I want to talk to you about setting the table in worship. And I just want to encourage you. I, I, I don't know if I've felt as passionate about a sermon series I'm starting than I feel about this one. Today, in here in the sanctuary this morning, I was praying, God, help me preach it like you want me to preach it. And um, as we look at setting the table, you setting the table for God in worship, I want to tell you, if you build it, he will come. If you set the table, he will come into your situation. If you build a life of worship, God will bless your life abundantly. Now, we're going to take a look at a story that will be the basis for the whole series. And it's one of the grandest stories in the New Testament. It wasn't a parable. It was an actual event that happened. And it's in John chapter 4. And I'm sure you've heard it preached dozens of times. It's the woman at the well, the woman who was broken beyond broken. More than it, probably anybody here in this room, married five times in a culture. People just didn't go through divorce that many times. This was a lady who, whose life was filled with shame, condemnation, guilt. And Jesus meets her there. And we've heard it preached from every angle, but I think most people miss what I think is the punchline in that whole story. We'll pick up the reading in verse 4, and it says... And he, being Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. He had to. It was about the sixth hour, which time there, that meant 12 noon. The day started at 6 a.m., so it was lunchtime. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said, oh, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks 
of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. There's a reference to John 7 right there. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said, Okay, go call your husband and come. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to You're right. And saying, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have, he's not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she gets religious. She, I, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain in Samaria nor the one in Jerusalem where the temple is will you worship the Father. But look here. But the hour is coming, and listen, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is where you need to underline if you haven't. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. The woman said to him, uh, I, 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 you didn't answer my question. I know that when the Messiah, he's coming, and when he comes, he'll explain it. Jesus said to her, I, I'm him. This is the first person he reveals himself as the Messiah. A broken woman. Just the two of them risking his reputation, talking to her in private asking her for a favor it's incredible if you had been here watching this happen when it actually happened you you would not have believed what your eyes were witnessing if you if you heard this conversation you would have a hard time believing it's actually happening what happened well first the bible says he had to go through samaria how many of you know? No, he didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone the eastern route around the sea. He could have gone the western route around the river. And both of those were more scenic and cooler. And Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. That was the hood. There were people there that were racially different. Jews had married Gentiles. And Jews didn't go to Samaria. And the Bible says... He had to go through. No, he didn't. But yes, he did. He did. You can see here on the map. It's a simple deal. And he goes by the little town of Sychar. And he meets her. Second thing we see is he, he greets a woman who has a sketchy reputation to say the least. And there he was, just the two of them. And any man with any relational IQ would easily see that this is not a woman you should talk to in public or in private. Certainly not enter into a lengthy discussion asking her for a favor, talking to her about her ex-husbands and such. But then he asked her for a drink. And Jesus, the humanity of him, he's tired, he's thirsty, and he asked her for a drink. And she says, wait, she hadn't been talked to like that respectfully from a man 
in, in months or years. And she says, wait, what, why are, what are you doing talking to me? And Jesus tells her, if you knew who it was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give it to you. And, but notice what she says. And this is us. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, the Messiah, you would ask me for a drink. And she says, you can't get water. You don't even have a bucket. And she says, she doesn't say this, but she deduces. And it wasn't that he looked different. He dressed differently. So she knew he was a Jew. And she said, I, you're not from around here. Bro, this is a deep well. And this is what we do. God's word comes to us and he says, if you knew what I could do, you would ask me to do it. And we say, oh, but God, you don't know my situation. You, you're, you're, I appreciate the thought, but I don't know if you know me like my situation is broken. You can't get water from me. The second thing, the next thing we see is he compares the water to salvation and life in verses 13 and 14. He says, oh, you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But the water that I give, it'll quench your thirst. You'll never be thirsty again. And it listen, it will become in you a well that will spring up to, he, then he brings this new word, this new phrase, eternal life. I don't have time. I could preach for three hours on this right now. How many of you, by faith, thank God he's not, I'm not going to this morning? There's so much here. She just comes to get water. He wants to give her life, eternal life. And then he, re, he speaks to what I'm going to do, and you, lady, is so profound. You're going to quench other people's thirst. Your story is going to change other lives. That's how God's word comes to us. It, it points us to a place that's impossible, a promised place, but yet it's possible. Next, we see the tenderness of Jesus. Please don't miss this. He says, all right, you want the water, go get your husband. He, he knows her story, but he doesn't go, you know what? You don't deserve this. You're sleep. You're living with a man who you haven't married, and you've been married five. You know divorce attorneys. You. He didn't come and condemn her. He gently comes in on the side door and says, "Go get your husband." And and she says, "I don't have one." And notice, he gets to her point, the pressure point where her pain is. There's relational dysfunction. Who knows all the alls that she was doing? Emotional, physical, relational, financial, all the ills and alls that she was dealing with. Jesus knew she was fragile. But listen, he also knew, I can't help you if we don't get to where the real issues are. And he gets there with her. And then the next thing we see is... She goes, you, you're a prophet. And then she gets religious. And this is what we do. Have you ever been around a famous person? It's like, and they're up close to you, and you're like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. You know, and it's like, maybe it's a, a big, a pro football player, Hall of Famer or something. You're like, 
I played Pop Warner football. I had 13 touchdowns in four years. You're like, dude, you know? Yeah, people find out I'm a pastor, and, and you, you hear the dumbest things. It's like they have to impress me or get to, like, I'm not that, but my grandmother gave me our family Bible. They say things like that. And she goes and gets religious. And that's what happens when, when you kind of get in someone's space. And, and she goes, um, hey, my people say worship this way and your people say worship that way. She gets religious. And Jesus then distills it down and gets to where he needs to get with her. And he says, oh, the time is coming. In fact, it's now come. Well, we won't worship that way or this way, but we'll worship in spirit and in truth. And this is the line that I think every time this story is preached, almost every time, we never hear this. And it is when Jesus says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love what the, how the King James Version says it. Does this sound spiritual or what? The Father seeketh such to worship him. In, in spirit and in truth. Now listen to me. As we lay the foundation for this series on setting the table, building a life of worship so that he will come and bless it. What does it mean to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? What does it mean? He gets personal. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. Then she says, I, I, don't, I don't know how to worship. That's essentially what she's saying. And I want you to know this morning, God is not looking for people, hear me, who will be religious. He's not looking for people who will look around, figure out, learn the formula for how to appear churchy or conservative or anything else. Worship, listen, begins with the willingness and the readiness to honor God according to his worthiness. Y'all out there? Worship is to ascribe Worship to something or someone. Uh, ascribe worth-ship. Worship recognizes that we're creatures and there is a creator. Worship recognizes that we're sinners and we need a savior. All of us. And that none of us are sufficient in and of ourselves. Even in the suburbs. I remember... I was a youth pastor here and had that corner office where Pastor Arville is now when Candace and I began dating. And I was obsessed with her. Honestly, I, I, I thought of her all the time. In staff meetings, I'd lose concentration. Seriously. And this was, you know, snail mail and pre-smartphones or flip phones. This was a long time ago. And she would send me cards and letters through snail mail and I would read them at home and bring them to the office with me to read during the day and you know those early letters where you're like she just said she misses me in the Greek that means <laughs> she said Love you, comma, Candace. <laughs> we haven't said that yet. 
So I got cards on my dashboard, my little Jeep. I got cards on letters, and I read, why? Because that's what you do when you're in a loving relationship. You ascribe value, worth to that person. And they reciprocate, and their words mean something to you. And your words mean something to them. The Bible says a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Not those who go through the motions. Not those who look cleaned up. Not those who go to church every Sunday. But those who worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit. Most of us read this, and we've heard it taught. You have to be born again. You have to do what Nicodemus did or heard about. You get born again. Then you're born of the Spirit, and you can worship in the Spirit. Worship in truth means you have to understand the Bible's requirements. If you're going to come as a worshiper, you got to do it like the instruction manual tells you to do it. And both of those are valid points of study. But man, is there a lot more. To worship in spirit speaks of passion. It's that animated quest, that hunger. Have you felt hungry lately? It's that hunger that says, I want the Lord. It's that hunger that says, only the Lord will satisfy me. Like I need something to eat. Tofu is not going to do it. I'm hungry. To worship in spirit is to have that passion, that Oh, that animated quest. It's the spirit that says, I'm into this. Not just, well, since we're here while we're in church, I might as well go ahead and, and do some worship stuff. Listen to me. It's not that mindset that, that says, I hope this is good this morning. I hope Pastor Chuck has something good to say. I hope PC can make it happen today because Lord knows I need it. We all need it. That's not the mindset of worshiping in spirit. The mindset of worshiping in spirit says today it's going to be good because I'm coming to worship the king. And I've understood that there's a few others in this house and it's contagious. And I'm not going through the motions. I'm going to worship like my life depends on it because it does. To worship in spirit. That's what it says. I'm passionate about this. I'm animated in my quest to have my spiritual thirst satisfied. I'm into this all in. That's what it is to worship in spirit. Today, to worship in truth means more than I know the rules. I've met the Savior. I know why we lift our hands. Hear me. To worship in truth means we come with honesty. Before the Lord. And we say, I'm not faking it. I'm not going through the motions. I'm not going to just do it. To look like a worshiper. How many times do we come and we don't bring our real selves? We want to look sophisticated. We need to be impressive. We need to look 
whatever way it is that we think that's what people in the suburbs look like when they come to church. And we don't bring our true selves. Or we come feeling like, man, I don't deserve to be able to come and be free in worship this morning. I've had a yucky week. We feel we weren't exactly spiritually mature. And the enemy neutralizes our worship. And even then, we need to come in truth. Get real before the Lord. Know what the truth of the word says, which is, I've had a yucky week. I've been less than perfect, way less. I don't deserve to be here, but what Jesus did on the cross makes me deserve it. I am worthy, and so I come, Lord, as a broken sinner, and I still get to worship you. That's what it is to come in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking God, the one who doesn't need anything, he could just go, you know what? I'm in heaven. I created you all. You have laws, spiritual laws, natural laws, physical laws, relational laws, financial. And you're on your own. And if you need me, good luck. Come find me. He could have done it that way, but no, that's not our God. When we see these stories of how Jesus interacted, we see... The laws of the gospel, the heart of God. That's a loving father. And this is why Jesus said to a woman who needed some hope, the father is seeking, looking for people that can worship in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, people are concerned about Christianity. We're losing market share. And the influence in our generation it's not growing, but the church is in, in trouble because Jesus is building it and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we do have some influences. Pick up what I'm putting down right here. Gen Z pastors, George Barna recently said, 12% of Generation Z pastors have a biblical worldview. That's devastating. So what will the church look like in 30 years? Well, the real church will be fine. But those who have been led by blind leaders, they'll be in the ditch. But because we're losing market share and we're accommodating all of these beliefs, listen, what's happened is we've rewritten the rules for what real worship looks like. And so we dimmed the lights and raised up the haze. And we have these substitutes. And we have these musicians and these singers that they do music, but the body is not doing worship. And we've got to back up and go, all right, God, if you're seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth, what the Bible say? What do you like? You see, Candace and I, when, in our first year of marriage, did anybody else struggle in your first year of marriage? Well, three of us. Four. I got four. We got five. Six. Hey, we got people all um, um, I understand that the average divorce, the average marriage divorces in year seven. And um, from what I understand, you know, we all project ourselves. We're billboards. 
How many of you said you love your wife or husband when you got married on that day and you said, I do, to someone you like barely knew compared to how you know him now? And how many of you thank God you made that covenant to the Lord? Let's come on, let's get real up in here. Talk about spirit and in truth. Our first year of marriage, I will never forget this. I don't know if we've talked about it since it happened. So, Candace, I'm in Caroline. Dylan, would you move over here and just sit on this side of Candace? Our first year, we're on our way back to her hometown in Cleveland, and she needed to stop just to use the bathroom. I'm like, cool. There's a QT. Pull in, and she goes, I don't use the bathroom in gas stations. I'm thinking, what, who did, what kind of person did I just marry? It's like, where do you use the bathroom? She said, restaurants. Really? So you want us to drive across the street to McDonald's? This is a QT. Have you, this is brand new. They serve pizza in there. Ice cream. That McDonald's looks like, I, I, I couldn't, I'm like, are you serious? We're, you're not going to get out of the, we nearly had to call Pastor Munn for counseling. It was bad. And the more we, the more she was like, I'm not doing it. I drove her across. And it took me 25 years to realize what an idiot I was. She's like, I just simply don't use the bathroom in gas stations. Some of us go, God, this is worship. We, we use the bathroom at gas stations. We do worship. The way we speak our love language, God. And we've had, we have years now of the church kind of dumbing down, watering down what real worship is. And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. God has divorced that because that's not what real worship is. Y'all out there? So... Pastor Chuck, distill this down. What are you saying to us? I'm saying a few things. Listen to me. In this story, we see this. God initiates relationship. He had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He was going after someone. Not a donor for his ministry. Not a rabbi that had developed a mission outreach in Samaria. A woman who was broken, emotionally done. That's why she went at 12 noon to get water. All the other ladies went early in the morning or in the evening, and she went in the middle of the day because she was tired of being the butt of everybody's jokes. She knew what it was like to live life in a cave. And God comes to her. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm... He, he still comes and initiates relationship. Some of you today, 
It's a miracle you're here. The story of your life would say, wow, only God could get you here. Some of you here today, you've wallowed in neutralized worship. You don't feel worthy. You feel distant from the Lord because he... You, there's just too much pain and it's acute. I'm, just, I'm talking, God is talking to somebody today because he brought you here and he is initiating a relationship with you right now. He's moving in to get close to you and help you deal with the thing that causes the pain. God initiates relationship. Second thing I'm saying is, I've said it about five times, he's seeking worshipers. People who will ascribe worth in the relationship with him, like all loving relationships do. I delight now in pulling over at McDonald's and Arby's and Hardee's and little burger joints where my bride, she does use the bathroom in her royal way. She prances in there. She comes out. And off we go. (laughs) Prince Charles, Queen Candace. Here we go. You, we're speaking God's love language when he's going, that's not my love, that's your love language. Third and final, or next to final. Worshippers live in a life-giving relationship with God. Relationship is, a, is sustained when we ascribe value, worth to something. The beauty of this is this little girl, this little lady, she came for, hear me brothers and sisters, she came for a day's worth of water. And she bumps in the op, into the opportunity of life, like real life. Like, I thought my life had come and gone, and are y'all out there? I, I, get, I get to live again. And I get to be the first person in the whole world to realize he just personally revealed to me he's the Messiah. He is seeking worshipers and people who who worship, come to life. What Jesus was saying is, I came to this village to see you. I can get you out of that. I know about your mess. Yeah, it is a mess. But God is seeking you. Here's the way out. Will you worship? It's not about that temple or that temple or that race or this race. God came to this village. He wants to make you a worshiper. And if you become a worshiper, don't you love it? The rest of the story that I didn't read, she runs back to her village and goes, y'all, I met the Messiah. She left her water pail there. She didn't even bring any water. Let me close with two stories. Let me ask you, though, first, what are you building for him? Have you learned how to set the table his way? Please don't hear this sermon as some cute little flannel graph Sunday school story for preschoolers. God is speaking to you. Are you setting the table for him? Two quick stories. About 20 years ago, 
we were having so many kids, and we were like, it's too expensive to go on vacation. We live 11 miles from Bald Ridge Marina. We said, let's get us a boat. I'd never owned a boat, and so we went up. I found a used little Sea Ray boat, and uh, the, one of the Marine Max salesmen took me out on the test boat ride. And we were in the dock, and he was trying to start it. He turned the key, nothing. I'm like, he goes back and pulls up. If, you, if you're a boater, he looks down to make sure, yep, the battery is turned on. And he goes, nothing. We spend like 10 minutes. I've not been on a boat. I don't know boats. And sometimes just the fresh eyes on the situation will go. And I, I looked over, and right there by the throttle, there's a little kill switch. And it says run if it's up and off if it's down. And I just go, does that have anything to do with it? He goes, oh, my God. I've been on boats since I was a kid. I, and he's, he spends 20 minutes. I'm like, dude, I just need a boat ride. I'll buy the boat. I trust you. But he is so embarrassed that he didn't turn the kill switch off so the boat could run. And I wonder, you're doing everything. You got the key. The battery's charged. Have you been have you had your kill switch turned off in your faith in because you you've been in churches that you you don't understand worship or you're like I got a master's degree and I don't I don't do the bathroom and I don't do it, it and take it or leave it it's just how that's that's my personality look if you're going to do this thing the biblical way you don't get off that easy you don't get to determine what your worship is. He determines whether you are or are not worshiping him. But here's the beauty is, if you worship him, if you set the table, he will come. Oh, I wish I had some good spirit-filled people up in here who knew what I'm talking about. Because I'm getting ready to go old school Pentecostal. You know, I, I risk telling this story but I can't preach this sermon and start this series without telling it um, five and a half years ago when we were when we had the privilege to come back and begin preparing to become the lead pastors here at the church please hear this story six weeks in we learned something that was happening on the worship team that was devastating one of my daughters came in from UGA, and um, as they came in, came in from Athens late, I was preaching. Later in the day, she goes, Dad, I, you, I hate to tell you this, but the worship team was, and she described what they were doing between the two buildings. And it was egregious. It was egregious. So egregious and immoral that it disqualified you from ministry leadership and so we're back six weeks 125 150 people in rebuild mode and I, I learned that we may have to let the whole worship team go and then when we met with them they began to confess things that it became clear you have to make some tough decisions please hear me 
I'm looking at a church in rebuild mode going, next week, we don't have any musicians or singers. It was a moment that determined the destiny of this church. I met with Pastor Munn. We counseled and encouraged each other, sought the Lord in prayer, and did what we had to do. And it wasn't long after that the Lord began to send his glory in this place because it wasn't here. But he started sending it. And I started preaching about the vertical church that if we will worship him, he will come. And this is why I am I'm intentional about keeping worship pure before the Lord and biblical and I thank God for these players and singers and musicians and we have long extended conversations and we talk about what biblical worship is to look like at this church why because when we got the worship right look what happened are y'all out there so what, what's the net result for you? Have you built a house, a life of worship? Oh, I could give you, COVID came. First thing, circle up the kids, get the anointing on. Anoint the doors of our house. My oldest son, we're grandparents three times as of 6, 11 a.m. yesterday morning. Our oldest son, Brandon. And Brandon didn't have any grandparents invited and we get up there yesterday it's just him and his wife and now his newborn son and he began to tell me it was just us dad and we were we were playing worship music and he started telling me the songs he said dad when the baby came after it was all over the nurses said we've never experienced that we've taught him set the table he will come he will come in this series these next few weeks I'm, this might be one of the most important things I teach you how to hear the voice of the Lord and how to set the table at your house for him to send his glory because at this house we're setting the table can I get a witness come on stand with me so I'll throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a Come on, sing it out. That means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I throw up my hands and praise 
come on come on set the table come on we're, speak his love language is a hallelujah Come on, set the table in here this morning. Now lift him up. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. So that in your house in this series we will learn to worship in spirit and in truth how many of you have found and discovered the freedom in worship how many of you have discovered when you set the table he is faithful to come y'all out there so may the Lord bless you keep you make his face shine upon you may he be gracious unto you may he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Come on, say, I receive it. Don't forget to hit the QR code. Help us prepare for next week. Have a great afternoon. We love you.